episode number four, season number two, Justice De Los Santos, Lucy Schaefer, Joey Patton, aka Jose Patron. We all in the studio for the first time. I'm excited for this. We the got squad like, is all here. Except Max. Max is he isn't with us here physically, but he's with us in spirit. It's the same thing we say with Serena and the other one. She ain't always with us here physically, but she's with us in spirit. Um, it's April 18th. Summer's right around the verge for me, but for y'all, it's almost time to get up out of here. I got like before we get into this, I gotta ask you, how does it feel to be just almost done with not even just college with school this is something we've been doing for like almost our entire lives how does it yeah. feel to like almost be at the finish line yeah you know i don't i don't even know what to think about it right now i think it's coming up so fast i haven't really had time to process it you know i keep looking ahead to the day of graduation and getting really excited about my parents coming and going out to lunch, but anything that happens after that commencement, I have not thought about. <laughs> I've put out of my mind. So I just, I haven't even fully grappled with it yet, I don't think. What about yeah. you, Joey? It's definitely a trip and it is hard to, you know, take it all in with things moving so fast. I'd say there are definitely some mixed emotions. You're obviously excited, you know, be done with school, no more exams, papers, good, things yeah. like that. But on the other hand, I'm definitely going to miss the social aspect of being in college and having you guys and all my friends and you know, doing things like this. So, uh, you know, it's it's some mixed emotions there, but it's definitely exciting. We can definitely have you call in. You, just because you graduate <laughs> doesn't mean you're done. We're not yeah. gonna, <laughs> it's like we, we have this whole saying, it's like we were giving like Serena a little bit of a little bit of crap because we were like, oh, you going Hollywood on us like right after you got this award. But it's like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go Hollywood on you in a sense. Like you wanna mm. come back, you're welcome to come back. <laughs> I mean, but, and if all goes well for Cal, we'll be writing well into the, well into after graduation right. as well. That is true. Because so. yeah. regular season ends March 31st, I believe, and then if they make a little bit of a run... May, know, May. We, we might have to make a little bit of... What did I say? Did I March. Say March? <laughs> yeah, <you're> <laughs> it's not delusional hours, but we... <laughs> but, you know, we might have to make a little bit of a trip to Omaha, maybe. Maybe, like, oh. make a, take Ooh. a flight out, or maybe maybe they come to us. Ooh, that Ooh, would be, I'm getting my wisdom teeth out, like, two days oh, after graduation, shit. so you got to take me, like, bandages on the head and all, then... We gotta have like some Kanye through the wires. Just <laughs> <laughs> on the note of Omaha, crazy story I heard. You know how dinger means home run. Obviously, yeah. I found out that came from there's a in Omaha outside the stadium where the College World Series was played. There was a trailer park called Dingerville, and all the home runs would get hit oh in the Dingerville. God. So then home runs became nicknamed dingers. That's so, that's so perfect. <laughs> so I feel like fact. I I don't know if we said this on here, but I feel like of all of the major sports, baseball has by far the weirdest vocabulary Absolutely. to the point where you can just make up a word like you can present someone with five words and you can throw a made up one in there and they would believe you that it's right yeah. it's like a lot of food metaphors too cheddar like, cheddar can of corn <laughs> apo taco mm -hmm. <laughs> i feel like there's more that i'm like missing carving out carving like carving like carving <laughs> yeah carving into a thanksgiving turkey, turkey or something exactly. yeah I'm a little disappointed none of you hit us, like, hit me with the, we gotta take it one day at a time, you know, we're just focusing on right now. <laughs> 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 graduating. Just getting the reps in with the classes, you know. <laughs> you know, we're not thinking about the future, we're thinking about right now. And just <laughs> better every day. <laughs> getting, getting a little bit better every day. <laughs> just all, like, the typical, like, yeah. baseball stereotypes. Seriously. But as I like to do with the beginning of every uh, podcast, you know, give a little bit of a recap as to where we are before heading into the future. Uh, Cal as of right now is 19 and 12, still sixth place in the Pac-12, but they have been winners of eight of their last nine. This would have been a nine-game winning streak if not for losing 
uh, the last game of the Arizona series, which in, they won uh, two out of three. So to just go game by game real quick and provide like a brief little summary. Uh, game one, Cal defeats Arizona 10 to seven. A lot of great offensive performances around the board by Vaughn, uh, Corey Lee, Max Flower, Grant Holman, uh, Selma. Uh, the sabori Stottenborough combination was a little shakier than usual. You know, Sabori did go the two innings, but I believe he faced nine total batters. I don't think he allowed a run, but definitely a little shakier. Uh, same thing with Stottenborough. This is the first real hiccup that we've seen out of him in a while, but still he was very solid. I believe it was five innings pitched and three earned runs. But the big story of the game was Cal scoring six runs in the top of the eighth. Corey Lee hits a three-run homer to really put the nail in that coffin. Uh, game number two, Cal defeats Arizona 7-3. Again, a lot of offense in this one. I believe every single batter who went to the play for Cal had at least one hit. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the depth on this podcast, and that's something that's you really love to see. But as great as the offense was, this was the Jared Horn story through and through. Now, heading into his last start against Washington State, his, career, his previous career high in innings pitched was 7.2. In back-to-back starts, he's thrown eight. And especially him coming off of that injury, for him to throw eight innings in back-to-back starts is fantastic. We can get into that a little bit later once we finish this little recap but what really caught my eye in regards to the Arizona series was another career high which was nine strikeouts and that did kind of lead to an elevated pitch count new did give him the opportunity to go out for the ninth and finish it out but he allowed a single to the very first batter he faced and new got him out of there and deservedly so he was at like 110 innings or 110 pitches but um, something else that I thought of note Grant Holman with a really impressive home run to dead center field off the batter's eye and I believe the dead center field at uh, the name of the the name of the field is like high something. High yeah. Corbett. Yeah, their field. It's like a very it's very much a pitcher's park through and through. And for Holman to just go dead center mm-hmm. off the batter's eye, that was super impressive to me, especially as he's getting healthier both on the mound and in the batter's box. And game number three, this was Cal's first loss in quite some time, losing a four to two. The winning streak finally comes to an end. It was a really strange game from an offensive standpoint because they had a 13 combined hits in game number three and in games number one and two when they scored a combined 17 runs they both had 12 hits so you think okay 13 hits you know the previous two games we had 12 we're gonna score a lot of runs but they only managed to score two which you know just chalk it up to a very strange game but even with that a lot of very solid individual games Cameron Eden four for five with a homer finally got caught on the base paths finally caught stealing for the first time in what seems for like forever but mm-hmm. I believe you mentioned that he's second in the Pac-12 in stolen bases yeah yeah with 14 total yeah so that's going to be a little interesting storyline within the season to see you know where he goes with that and see if he, can he claim that title uh Max Flower went three for five Andrew Vaughn went two for four but you know winning streak finally comes to an end even though the winning streak comes to an end, Cal has, you know, we're, we're not allowed to use momentum in our articles, but we can say it on here. They have a lot of momentum going into this series, and especially for a team that was had to deal with a lot of flux heading into, you know, even that Long Beach State series because you had, like, injuries and then players moving up and down the batting order, players changing positions. There was a lot of, this team was very malleable from the jump. And to see them, like, stabilize heading into this UCLA series... I think that's something that's fantastic to see, and this series that we're about to see will be a real test to see where this team truly is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm personally really excited about the UCLA series. I think Cal has shown us both in the um, LSU series and the Oregon State series that they can generate some type of offensive energy 
against ranked teams, and I think they came away from each of those series with one win mm -hmm. out of a three-game series. So I think that definitely shows that there's some hope for Cal to at least come out guns blazing. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see. You know, the team has been very up and down, as you say, and they've stabilized a bit, but I feel like one kind of shaky start to the series can just take them downhill. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, you talked about LSU, Oregon State. Cal came within just a couple of runs of each of those games, except for the final game of the Oregon State series. But um, now you entered game one and two with the lead, and LSU as well, they also entered games two and three with the lead. Um, and they've shown they can hang with these teams, and they're a different team now than they were, say, a month ago, you know. They're riding a eight of their last nine. They're hot as, hot as they could be at the moment. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, to see, you know, if they can take that next step and not just go from competing with these teams, but actually beating these teams. I think that's going to see, we're going to see, you know, is this, is this hot streak we're seeing, is this for real? Are these guys really stepping it up? And has everything, you know, their hard work really come to fruition? Well, in terms of that idea of stepping up, you know, I think the, the player of the week for me in regards to this Arizona series far and away was Jared Horn especially when you consider that heading into that Washington State series last week, I believe he was, you know, being eased into the swing of things. You see very short stints, you know, two innings, three innings, four innings, five innings. And then he comes out of nowhere with back-to-back -back eight innings pitched. And I believe, as you mentioned, Joey, on the last podcast, for him to completely leave his sophomore season in the rearview mirror and take that, like, such a drastic jump from year one to year two. And it's not even in just... You know, because sometimes you'll see with pitchers, you know, they're, they're biz especially in baseball as a whole, there can be a bit of a luck factor. And, you know, Horn does benefit from a fantastic defense. I believe that Eden made a couple of great plays during the Arizona series, but that's not to take away from what he's been able to do because you don't drop from, like, a, an ERA in the sixes to an ERA in the twos without you making a lot of strides mm -hmm. just on your own, in terms of your own personal development. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's just incredible. You know, he came in to this year. He was scheduled to start in that first weekend series in Arizona. And then he had, um, you know, the appendectomy issue. His appendix was all bad. And he had to be pulled out. Then, the, like you said, they eased him into it in the beginning. He was throwing fewer innings. Now you look last week, what's he, he threw 114 pitches. Well, I was amazed New let him go yeah. that far. That's <laughs> kind yeah. of crazy. In this, in this era of baseball? I know, right? <laughs> right? No, yeah, it's definitely a trip. But as far as his growth and his progress from – last year to this year he's just a totally different pitcher he's matured a lot he has better command on the stuff he's been throwing I think he's developed some pitches as well that you know he just didn't have any command over last season and um you know like I said I was a little skeptical I didn't expect him to have the year he's having but everyone around him on the team you know as far as the coaching staff goes they all knew he was going to have this kind of season and they knew he was going to be their guy and lo and behold it's it's worked out yeah and if I could just add one more stat from the Pac-12. Um, I was kind of clicking around on the website and I found that Jared Horn is now on the leaderboard for pitching as the fifth lowest ERA in there the Pac-12, which is saying a lot in a conference that has kind of amazing pitching staffs, especially we can get into talking about that with UCLA, but I think he's going to be a really great tool for the team in this upcoming series. And I think it's kind of a small thing in the grand scheme of his past, his past two pitching performances, but I think New allowing him to go out for that ninth inning, even though he didn't really register an out, I think that really speaks to 
Noose trusted him because, you know, at that point in time when he was going out for the ninth, you know, his pitch count was well within the hundreds. But, you know, if New was kind of, if he didn't have that trust in Horn to be able to, you know, get those final three outs, I don't think he would have brought him out to begin with. But I believe there was a certain level of trust there where it's, it spoke to, you know, some of the fight that we've seen with Horn. It's like, even though you're at this, even though you're at this mark, even though you've gotten hit hard a couple times, even though the, the command is starting to fade as the arm gets kind of tired, it's like what what you've shown in these past two starts shows me that you I have confidence in you mm-hmm. to go out for that ninth inning. And even though he didn't finish it off, I think that really speaks to you know, his what he's really proven in terms of being able to fight through these starts as they get later in the games, and it's just his general grit as a mm-hmm. whole. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think in terms of, you know, what we've also talked about as well is, you know, Horn goes down with that injury and it really throws everything into flux. And I think it's also, you know, when we've gotten to this point in the season, I think it's also worth noting, you know, just how malleable this team is and been, you know, adjusting to things on the fly. You know, you have Cameron Eden, who's been an infielder for most of his entire Cal career, who moves to center field. And, you know, when players make that transition from the infield to the outfield, it's like a whole different dynamic, but he's passing that test defensively with flying colors and then you have new who if I memory serves correct for much of his professional career he was a starter but and you know some some managers might have that sort of old-school mentality it's like you know that get off my lawn like with this old <laughs> starter mentality but he's really embraced it the team has really embraced it especially with Saborian Stoddenborough and then even something as recently as Darren Baker he's been their number two hitter for most of the season he's mm-hmm. been moved into the five slot and a side note on that, in that number five spot, he's been batting 333. And for the season to start off as shaky as it was, for Horn to go down immediately, for people to change positions, for McIlwain to be out for the rest of the season and for this team, you know, we've talked about this whole concept of stepping up and everybody being able to take on the new challenge and take on and take it on with flying colors. You know, and as we look to this UCLA series, I think the amount of perseverance that this team has had and just that willingness to take on whatever challenges are thrown at them, I think that's, you know, that just speaks to the character of this team. And, you know, we talk about the camaraderie of the team, the chemistry of this team, and, Mm -hmm. like, you don't get to that point if, A, you don't have a general, like, willingness to fight, but, B, a willingness to fight for your teammates. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I have talked to Darren Baker quite a bit, and... One thing that he definitely highlights about the team is that this is far and away the most supportive um, and kind of friendly team he has ever been a part of um, across his baseball career. Um, And also more specifically about Darren, I think that the fifth spot on the batting order is actually a great place for him. And when I kind of think about his hitting style a little bit more, I kind of wonder why he wasn't moved there sooner into the season because he... He's not really a power hitter. He doesn't follow after his dad in that regard. Um, He really does enjoy the kind of selfless act of hitting the single, advancing a batter, you know, making the sacrifice or um, doing the bunt or something like that to really kind of advance his teammates along. And so him kind of following after these hitters who have really high on-base percentages, I think that makes a lot of strategic sense for him to be placed there in the batting order and I think it makes sense why we see him kind of flourishing his batting average flourishing after they made that move for him 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Coach New says one of the big things he was concerned about coming into the year was protecting Vaughn in the lineup and making sure he had good support behind him. And when you got Lee Flower and Baker following that up, I think you're in pretty good shape. And I mean, over this uh, nine-game span that the team's been riding, um, they're putting up 7.7 runs a game. You know, offense is booming. Things are going really well. And so you're right, Baker's shown great flexibility, being able to step in in that role. His batting average is skyrocketed since he's filled that role. Um, Justice, you talked about, you know, Sabori and Stottenborough being able to have their, you know, cool little dynamic with the opener and then starter position, just showing the flexibility and being willing to try new things. I think that's a huge testament to Stottenborough's ability to acclimate and be a flexible team player. He's a freshman, you know, and he, he look at how, he's, how well he's pitching. I think he's got a two yeah, 285 ERA. Um, and Sabori's been really selfless about, you know, opening these games, even though it's not something he's used to. So you guys are right. I mean, a lot of flexibility on this team. Everyone's playing for each other. And like Coach New said, everyone's bought into the core values that the team has. And I was thinking about it on, on the drive over here. It's, you know, when we think of... Okay, I had a really strange metaphor on the, on the basketball podcast. This isn't going to be as strange, but, you know, when we think of... When we think of, you know, young children, you know, they're very malleable in the sense that their brains aren't fully developed and then they have the opportunity to, you know, explore different options. And when we think of this team, this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to compare this team to children, but I'm saying that this is a very young team and a lot of underclassmen, you know, very few, there's no seniors, very few juniors. And so when we talk about, you know, this flexibility, if there ever was a time to explore new options, the time is now to do it when they are, you know, not particularly set in their ways and when they are still being, you know, thrown into this new environment. And it is great to have experience. It is great to have a team full of juniors and seniors. But, you know, as we've mentioned previously, sometimes one of the best things that you can have with a very young team is like that little bit of, I don't know any better. And it's in a good, in the best way possible. It's And especially when it comes to competing with an LSU, with an Oregon State, and being able to explore new options and being able to, you know, even if it might not be in your immediate self-interest, sacrificing for the sake of the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think one other thing to note in terms of flexibility is the fact that in the past couple series, Vaughn's performance has been a little up and down. Um, And I think it came kind of back up with this past series against Arizona. But, for example, he struggled a lot to generate hits in the Washington State series, and I think the team has shown its flexibility once again in their kind of ability to rally behind Vaughn to secure the sweep in that series, um, and then really kind of adjust their play whether or not Vaughn is on or off, and to not be completely shocked if they aren't kind of getting the offensive energy from that they're expecting. Yeah, absolutely. And that just goes back to depth, man. One through nine, this lineup, top to bottom, man. Everyone's pulling their weight. Everyone's hitting. Offense, like I said, is booming. And, you know, it doesn't matter if Andrew Vaughn is slumping or if he's on fire because he knows his guys are going to pick him up regardless. And then, as you, you know, as I mentioned previously, you know, Holman had a really good series. You know, he's been kind of trying to get back into the swing of things at the plate. Hans Smith also had a, a rare start. It was a weird start, though, because in the starting lineup, Stottenborough was listed as the starting third baseman. And I was, yeah. as I was like looking on Twitter and I was watching the live stream, I was like, wait, is this correct? And then, you know, after the top of the first, Hans Smith is like placed at third base. I'm not really sure what that was. It might've been like a lineup miscommunication. I remember there's been a couple times in the majors where, 
the manager would forget to put the DH in in the American mm. League, and so the pitchers will have to hit. So it might have been a little bit of a miscommunication, but you know, just to see even someone like Hans Smith or Grant Holman, for them to be able to have solid at bats during that series yeah. too, it really does speak to that depth. And on the on the matter of Vaughn, I, I just want to bring up a couple numbers. In this weekend alone, he raised his batting average 20 points uh, from 344 to 364. And I think that just that kind of speaks to the standard that we hold him to. That it's like a 344 batting average is for his standards. That's like that's a struggle. But I think you know he only had six actual at bats. He went six four eleven. But what really caught my eye was Arizona really did not want to pitch to him. He didn't he didn't have any home runs this entire series. And there was a lot of times in which they would walk to get to Corey Lee. But what really struck my eye during this series in particular was I don't have the actual number of plate appearances, but his on-base percentage in these three games was 706. And, you know, it just speaks to him as an individual. It's kind of like that Barry Bonds thing where we're just going to have to run with somebody else and we're going to have to make someone else beat you. But as we saw in, you know, the game, in the first game when they had that six-run first inning, you know, if you want to pitch to Corey Lee, Corey Lee's not too shabby either. I believe he has seven home runs on the season now. That is far and away eclipses his career high. I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna get to ten if everything, mm-hmm. if he continues at the current pace he's on. The competition is gonna get fiercer as we go along. But you know, Corey Lee, regardless of who it is, Corey Lee, Max Flower, even if you talk about someone in front of him, Cameron Eden, who's been showing power as well. Like this team, one through nine, it's. In, as the season goes along, it's it's becoming one of the scarier offenses to face in this conference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm really on the Pac-12 stats right now, but um, a couple other things that I noted that I think are important things to keep an eye on for this upcoming UCLA series is the team, Cal as a team has the third highest collective batting average in the Pac-12 right now, which is ahead of UCLA, who falls in fourth place on that scoreboard. Um, And then the team is second in home runs in the Pac-12. So they've logged 42 home runs, where UCLA has only logged 25. Um, And I think those two stats just kind of speak to this kind of power offense that they've been sporting the last couple series. And... um, how that could really pose a threat to UCLA if if Cal can really make a showing against their kind of fearsome pitching staff. Well, I think this is a good segue into actually going into this UCLA series as a whole. But before we, all three of us, get into our thoughts on the series, let's see what, uh, Joey, you actually interviewed uh, Mike New prior to this series. Yes, I did. He had a lot of good things to say. Yeah, so let's see what Mike New had to say, and then we'll get back to you. They, they return almost their entire roster from last year. They, they inter, return almost their entire pitching staff from la, last year um, on the weekend. Um, and then, the, you know, their young guys in the bullpen have been doing a really good job for them. So, you know, I think uh, they're probably, you know, different from us in a way where they, they have – they knew what they were going into the season. You know, they, they, they returned their entire lineup, um, you know, already were a regional team last year. So they've really just made that jump uh, to be, uh, you know, a team that now is ranked number one with the experience of being in the playoffs last year. And then they're very well coached. You know, um, they, they do a great job with their pitchers. They do a great job with their uh, position players. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't shoot themselves in the foot. So, uh, you know, if you're going to beat them, you have to really play a great game and beat them. And, uh, you know, so I think we know that going into the weekend. You know, we, we have to play 
uh, put in a solid effort every game to, to win this series. Um, and we're playing well right now. So, you know, we feel confident going in, and it's a great opportunity for us, really. I mean, a, you know, a great team on the road with an opportunity to, to you know, take a step forward in the, in the conference and uh, in the RPI. So I think for us, you know, we're looking at it as just a, an outstanding opportunity for our, our young group of guys. So as new mentioned, number one team in the country, better than Stanford, better than any other team in the Pac-12, second to none. Now, Joe, you are actually going down to UCLA. Yeah. You're going to be in Westwood. I'm going to need you to get me some fat styles while you're down there. You actually wrote the preview for this, too, and you did the interview, so I'm going to let, let you take the floor a little bit. All right. Just based on your preview, based on the research that you've done, you know, that you're a little in-depth analysis, your little scouting report, you got the inside edge. What are you looking for in this series? Who are the big names we should be looking out for, et cetera, et cetera? I'm looking at pitching in this series. You look at UCLA, and they have arguably the best pitching staff in the country. I mean, Ryan Garcia is the big guy. He's got the 132 ERA right now. He's 4-0 and on the year. He pitched against East Carolina last week, and I think had 13 strikeouts. And that, that's just that's insane yeah, to me. That's his career high as well. Yeah, absolutely. So game one's going to be Armand Sabori is going to open it up for Sam Stottenborough, and then UCLA is throwing Zach Petaway. Zach Petaway has been really good this year. He has a 3-8-1 ERA. He's doing a pretty solid job. Um, all eyes on game two. That is going to be the matchup to watch. That's a pitcher's duel. you got Jared Horn, our best, versus Ryan Garcia, their best. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's actually the game I'm going to be getting to check out this weekend, so I really lucked out in that regard. Um, and then, you know, Holden Powell, UCLA's closer. He has 11 saves on the year. His ERA is just over two. I think it's 2-4-2, actually. He, I mean, he's been lights out. He's the Kenley Jansen of college baseball right now. Well, I mean, let's, let's remember what the Kenley... Uh, not, not to harp on you for being a Dodgers fan, but let's, let's remember what Kenley Jansen did in the World Series. No, I know, yeah. Game two against the Astros. Never forget it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, pitching's going to be pitching's gonna be crazy, and I think what's going to be... The big key for Cal, we're going to see, can the offense continue that productivity? Are they going to be able to put up seven runs again? Probably not, if we're being realistic. You just don't do that against these stellar pitchers. But you don't need seven runs to win every game because if you get your guys, if you get Stottenborough and Horn and Reyes, all these guys out there throwing their best, they might only give them up two, three runs a game. Maybe all you're going to need to win is three, four runs. You know, So we're not looking to put up ten runs in this series, but we are looking to get on the board, have a good showing, and you know, put up a good fight. I think in a little bit of a, since you are going down to UCLA, you know, Southern California, you are going to be game two. You know, that's going to be the premier matchup, a little bit of a Tupac all eyes on me situation going on there. But yeah, this is going to be, you know, this is sort of, you know, what happens when a, what's what's the expression when a, I'm forgetting it, when a movable, and, uh, an, an unstoppable, unstoppable force hits an immovable object. Yeah, that's sort of the situation we're running into here because as you mentioned, UCLA is arguably the best pitching staff in the entire country. They don't have the best ERA, the only quote-unquote only the second best at about, I think, 2.63. Uh, their whip, I think, I don't remember if it was for the season or over the last month, is 1.07. They have a stellar bullpen. They have a stellar starting staff. But then you're also contrasting that with a Cal lineup that has been incredibly hot over the past couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And we've just spoken on the idea of how 1 through 9, this is really a lineup that you have to worry about even with guys whose whose batting average is in the low 200s you know Sam Wesley and Grant Holman they're really starting to come on as of late Darren Baker you know I believe I mentioned it in the five spot he's hitting 333 Andrew Vaughn is coming back uh, he's coming into this series after one of his best weekends 
And also the fact that in this Arizona series, you know, this is a very quality opponent. They combined for 37 hits and, you know, only the quote-unquote only the 19 runs. And you have to, you know, chalk that up to the aberration that was game number three. But Cal is as hot as ever in terms of hitting the ball. UCLA is as hot as ever in terms of pitching the ball. I think it's going to be a very interesting series to watch. And frankly, you know, just being able to see some of Cal's top-tier hitters go against UCLA's top-tier pitchers, that's going to be worth the price of admission in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing I think we've talked a little bit about, Justice, in the last time we recorded the podcast was kind of that little tinge of ignorance that a young team can have and how that might benefit them going into a really tough series like this against the number one team in the country. And I think we should all just hope that the team hasn't gotten too jaded thus far after LSU and OSU that they really just come out uninhibited with no sort of preconceptions about how the games will actually end up. You guys ever get the sense that every game isn't just a game? Don't you guys think there is a little more excitement coming into it when you're playing UCLA, going on the road, chance to take down the top dog? You guys, you know, these athletes, they'll play it down. They'll say, oh, every game's just a game. It's another series. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying it. I don't know. I think it's more fun. <laughs> oh, it definitely is. I know, I remember the last playoffs, LeBron said something. It was like, two points isn't just two points. And like, he was like, I'll show you. And then, like, the next game, he hits that, like, running, like, that weird floater off like bank shot to beat the Raptors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's there definitely is a you know, we can craft a little bit some narratives here. You know, it's not just, you know, Cal UCLA in terms of just, you know, the teams in and of itself. It's Northern California versus Southern California. Uh, depending on which rankings you look at, the number one public university versus the number two public university. I'm not saying this is a battle of the nerds, but if that's what USA Today and all these publications want to say, then so be it. But, you know, these are just two of the premier institutions, two of the premier teams. There's a lot of history with these teams, both individually and in their little rivalry. You know, technically the the rivalry of Cal is, you know, it's Cal-Stanford, then UCLA, it's UCLA-USC. But, you know, nothing can really beat that Northern California, Southern California Mm -hmm. dynamic even that little public school dynamic, if you want to play that into there. But, I, yeah, there's definitely more of a feeling, you know, going to this game. There's a lot more juice heading into it. And I think that's going to, be, that's going to reflect on the guys. You might see a little bit of adrenaline early on on both sides. Because, as you mentioned, this is, you know, it's more than a game. It's more than a three-game series. This is a series for UCLA to really solidify themselves as that number one. I think they've been number one four weeks running. And it's Cal, it's to, for them to prove on a national stage, because this is going on the Pac-12 network, that's, it, as regards to college baseball, at least in the Pac-12, that's probably as national as you're going to get, if not ESPN. But it's for Cal to, you know, come down at Jackie Robinson Stadium against the number one team in the country, and it's like, hey, we're going to battle with you too, and we're going to show you what we're about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm jealous of you, Joey. I'm jealous <laughs> I'm that jealous you get too. to go. <laughs> get a tan for me. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious about Fat Styles. Just have you ever been to Fat Styles? I haven't. What is it? It's this place in West. Uh, this is going to be the. This is the start of Justice Food Blog Adventures. Um, <laughs> it's this place in Westwood. It's called Fat Styles. It has the best and the worst sandwiches in the best way possible. Okay. And what I mean by that, it's amazing, but it's horrible for you. Oh, okay. The sandwich that I got there, it was just the OG Fat Style. I think it had like roast beef, 
mozzarella sticks, onion Ooh. rings, gravy on a garlic hero. <laughs> oh it's so bad for you, but it's so amazing. That sounds amazing. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I would have to consult my homies from like Southern California because <laughs> They're like they they were the ones who put me on these places. Also, Diddy Reese, I gotta shout that place oh, out. Oh, well. Diddy <laughs> Reese is like the the some may say the better cream, the better Ooh. cream. Okay, yeah. maybe maybe cream before they went corporate, mm-hmm. or they went uh, what's the term? Yeah, anyway, they sold out. Yeah, so sold out. That's what yeah. it is. Because cream, I remember when I was young and I was in middle school. Cream used to be like two dollars, and like you can get like a ton of those, and mm-hmm. you you know. You know, lines out the door, but it doesn't have that same vibe anymore. They kind of, they kind of sold their soul. It's kind of the middle school me who was like sort of like super getting into rap. I, I didn't understand why they didn't just play Cream by Wu Tang like on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised that a lot of people didn't know that's what it was named after. I didn't know that. I think wow. that's what it's named because like it makes I sense. I thought Cream. Though. I thought Cream was an acronym. Oh, it is. It is because the. Cookies rule everything around right. me. Yeah, yeah. The, the Wu Tang song is "Cash rules everything around me." Okay. It's yeah. yeah it's a play on that. It's got to be. The more you know. Uh, <laughs> well, justice. If you want to start a food podcast with hey, me, hey, what's a, they got, I'd be down. They got one on the Ringer House of Carbs. You know, we might have to have one here. <laughs> Just ballpark food. Hey. Ooh. Dude. Have you guys had the the broth at uh, Evans? You guys have to no. buy it. Is it good? Yeah, it was pretty solid. The $8 one? The $8 one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important distinction to make there. Uh, Compliment <laughs> that with a $12 beer. Yep. 20 bucks <laughs> on a very mediocre snack. But, but you're having a good time. You are having a good time. <laughs> yeah. I, what are we even talking about? <laughs> we're talking about baseball? <laughs> but Westwood. Yeah. We're going to have to live vicariously through you going down there. Yeah. Oh, crazy story, actually. When I went down to UCLA to cover you know, the the basketball game. I actually ran into Charlie. Like, crazy story, because he was at a restaurant across the street from Diddy Reese, and I was walking by, and, like, it was one of these restaurants that had a mirror, and I'm looking in the restaurant, and I see Charlie, like, someone that looks like him. I'm like, wait, is that is that him? So I started waving, and it's him, and I'm like, well, what the heck? What are, like, the odds <laughs> I walk in and say what's up? That's cool. But do we have any, like, final thoughts about this UCLA series aside from... You know, this is this isn't the, like the premier series of the season heading up to this point, if not the entire season. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say is, I think aside from, you know, we're all kind of holding our breath, really pumped about Jared Horn. Um, I think my second guy that I'm really rooting for right now is Cameron Eden, um, and I know the last time I was speaking on the podcast, I kind of insinuated or stated that I thought he'd really kind of come into his role in the season kind of being forced into the spotlight not really from his own you know his own doing um and I really I think he's proved I think he's proved me wrong in that and so I'm really kind of have turned into a big Cam Eden fan and I'm really just excited to see what he's gonna be able to do He's definitely someone that I think, you know, with the power, the speed, you know, the glove as well. I think he's someone that could even play his way onto a couple all-conference teams, whether that be the actual all-conference team or maybe an all-defensive team. You know, we've also talked about, you know, I've seen his name in a couple mock drafts. So I think he could, de- like, he's definitely, you know, especially after last season, we talked about Jared Horn in that respect. But for him to make that jump from his sophomore year to his junior year, to go from playing in the infield to playing on the outfield, and not just playing in the outfield, but playing the most important position, center field, 
And, you know, you see a lot of these plays where he just comes flying in to track down a fly ball. And on defense, then on offense, you see him setting the table and then swiping a bag, you know, 14 stolen bases on the season. He's definitely made one of the most notable year to year or year to year jumps of any player that I've seen on this team. And definitely he's going to be just someone that's fun to watch, too. You know, he has that little no more Garcia Parra ish thing where, like, after every pitch, he kind of steps out, takes a deep breath, hand on the helmet, walks back in, and it's like, let's go to business. Absolutely. I'm telling you, man, he's like the mini Corey Seager in my eye. Like, just seeing him <laughs> out there, he's got that build, he's got the speed. I know he's playing outfield now, so it's a little different. I could probably find a better comparison now, but I don't know. That's who he reminds me of. He's a great player, and he's definitely really stepped it up in these past couple series. And, you know, props to him for making that jump out to center field. That's a big transition, and it's mm-hmm. a crucial position. So, yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, I would say one of the things that I'm looking forward to in this series is sort of the approach that Cal has with their at-bats. Because you're talking about a team, you know, number two in the nation in ERA, number five in the nation in strikeouts per nine innings. And then you were talking about Ryan Garcia, who's coming off of a 13 strikeout performance, which is a career high. And just, I'm interested to see, you know, what sort of approach they're going to take. Are they going to try to be aggressive? Are they going to try to jump on these guys early? Or are they going to try to see a lot of pitches, you know? And, you know, instead of going for the home runs, you know, try to accumulate a lot of singles, you know, not going for that real you know, try to do it all in one swing, but with a team that does have the strikeout stuff they have, are they going to take a more conservative approach instead of trying to go for the home run right off the bat? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. A little confused. That. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, you got to come into every series understanding you can't just hit home runs all the way to victory, home run dependent teams. You know, it's always a dangerous game to be playing. Um, but I mean, honestly, they're hitting for average too, and I think they understand with a guy like Garcia, they're gonna have to, you know, settle for maybe not a whole lot of extra base hits. But anytime they can get runners on base and you know move them and get them in, get them in when they have them on, that's gonna be that's gonna be crucial. I mean, every good team, you know, they capitalize with runners on base, and that's gonna be the key going into that second game. I just want to say, going into the series as a whole, man, get ready for some sparks to fly, because this is gonna be yeah. wild. I don't know. I really do think, uh, you know, with all the talent on both sides, with Cal being as hot as they are, UCLA being the best team in college baseball, there's a lot to look forward to in this series. Definitely. Do you have any final thoughts in regards to the series, Lucy? You know, I don't really have anything else to add, but I think you all said it all, but um, I'm just super excited. I'm excited, too. The one thing, the one reservation that I have is that the first game of this series uh, coincides with game three of Warriors Clippers so it's like <laughs> oh I just realized traffic in LA is gonna be horrible tonight because you got game three Warriors Clippers mm-hmm. actually wait where's I'm, my, my Southern California geography is kind of bad I think Westwood's like pretty far from like downtown LA. yeah it is. Eh, traffic is always bad in, eh, whatever it's just, <laughs> that, that's an evergreen thing to say traffic's bad in LA but uh yeah I'm just super excited to see like what this Cal team can do and I think it's gonna be a very fun series overall I think that, you know, one thing I'd like to see, this has nothing to do with baseball, but I think it was someone on the Brewers yesterday. I think, I forgot who it was, but he took a Red Bull. Uh, he, sh- he, like, put hit the middle part on, like, his spike to, like, open it up, and then he shotgunned it. 
I think just like that type of <laughs> that type of like energy we got to bring to the table. Yeah, we got to see I need, some. I need to redact Red Bull from this because I've been mentioning them a lot on this podcast, and they haven't dropped the bag for us. No, <laughs> a lot of shade here. UCLA, or not UCLA, Red Bull, drop the bag. We're giving you this free airtime. <laughs> we really don't need to. But yeah, I feel like you know I would love to see someone just like bust out like a shotgun with a Red Bull, or you know. You know, do what Tim Anderson did yesterday. It was like go deep and then just like fling his bat. You know, just you know, let's, let's get a rivalry. Just, yeah, yeah just see a little attitude. Yeah, but the unwritten rule, man. I think the rock flips. <laughs> yeah, we're turning to the NFL, the no fun league. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> but I think we're all good here in terms of you know thoughts on this this little series. Yeah. I think I'm good, man. It's been a, been a fun time. That being said, episode number four of the One Golden Moment Podcast, season number two, Justice Del Santos, Lucy Safer, Joey Patton, a.k.a. Jose Patron. <laughs> Until next time, peace. <laughs>